Hello and welcome to today's edition of HIV Matters. HIV Matters explores the current issues people living with HIV experience that impacts on their quality of life. The podcast is hosted by me, Michelle Croston, Associate Professor of Nursing at the University of Nottingham. I have a long history of working in HIV care and will be joined on the podcast by leading professionals and activists in the field of HIV that I've had the pleasure of working with throughout my career. HIV Matters is supported by an unrestricted educational grant from VIVE. VIVE has had no input into speakers or content. Today I'm being joined on the HIV Matters podcast by Katie Warburton. Katie has had the pleasure of working with children, young people and families living with HIV for the past 18 years. This work has predominantly been in the UK, but Katie has undertaken some support visits to South Africa, Bechiever Africa. Katie is currently a senior lecturer at the University of Central Lancashire, and I'm delighted that she's agreed to join me today to talk about that really important topic of working with children and young people living with HIV. Welcome, Katie, to today's podcast. Thanks, Michelle. It's a privilege to, to join you today. So, Katie, I've had the pleasure of working with you in different guises over the years. And during that time, vertical transmission risks have dramatically reduced as a result of testing in pregnancy and advances in HIV treatment, which is something to celebrate, although not a time for complacency either. I'm wondering if for our listeners, you would be able to provide a quick overview where we are now thinking of HIV in the context of children. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Michelle. Um, The advances in HIV treatment and care have changed the picture of children's HIV care in the UK. And when we're talking about data on children's HIV care in the UK, then we generally refer to CHIPS, which is Collaborative HIV Paediatric Study. It's a surveillance study which has been um, running since 2000, actually. And more recently, data collection has transferred over to CHARS. But focusing on CHIPS, we've had... 2,212 children reported to CHIPS. So these are children living with HIV in the UK that are accessing paediatric HIV services since the time of the the reporting started. And when we think of that number and what we know, we know 62% of these children have grown up and transferred to adult services. And there's currently 22% of those children, so 489 children reported to be accessing children's services in the UK. So that number is dramatically reducing. Um, And there's two key areas to celebrate here, really. One's the prevention of mother-to-child transmission. It's got to be one of the most successful advances in medicine, really, hasn't it? The risk of transmission from mum to baby in the UK, when we know mum's HIV positive and engaging in care, is less than 1%. And the other is access to effective HIV medication, Um, meaning that children born with HIV should grow up, transition to adult services and stay well. So this reflects our UK data and the pattern that we're seeing in relation to um, children and young people accessing HIV care in the UK, with the majority of which are over the age of 10. But like you say, it's not a time for complacency. So since 2015, an average of 35 children um, are newly diagnosed with HIV in the UK each year and reported to CHIPS and children and young people living with HIV do require specialist support and recognition of some of the HIV related challenges and complexities that they face. So I think these are really important things that need to stay high on our agenda. Yeah thanks for that Katie. I'm just reflecting on something that you've just mentioned about the 
35 cases since, you know, especially that timeline of 2015, thinking about the maternal screening being from, say, two, I think it was 2000, you know, 15 years on. Can you shed a light for our listeners about kind of, is there missed opportunities with regards to to that or how are, how are these, like you've mentioned about access to antiretroviral therapy, knowing mum's status, the testing programme. So I, w- I was actually a little bit surprised that we still have diagnosis within children. So I'm just wondering for our listeners, are you able to, to shed a bit of a light on, on that for us? Yeah, I think there's a few different areas to think about. Um, one, obviously, as you mentioned, is that routine HIV testing um, is offered in pregnancy and happens in in most cases, but not in all cases. So sometimes perhaps there's missed opportunity where women opt out of HIV testing in pregnancy. And, you know, that should be something that is revisited and encouraged at later points. We often wonder if someone refuses testing, whether there's underlying reasons and fears related to that. But also sticking to pregnancy, the other issue is, and certainly the more recent cases that I can reflect on where I've supported newly diagnosed children in the UK, it has related to women who have tested HIV negative with their booking blood and then have become HIV positive during pregnancy. Because we don't repeat testing at a later point unless there's a known um, risk factor, then um, that again is a possibility of a missed, uh, of a missed window where mum's done everything possible and engaged in services, but as I say, has perhaps become HIV positive at a later point in pregnancy or potentially during breastfeeding. We perhaps still have some children and young people who are untested or undiagnosed. So it's always important to flag to our adult colleagues the need to keep checking if children of newly diagnosed adults have been tested. And perhaps sometimes, you know, children and young people may move to the UK and already know that they're HIV positive or the family already knows they're HIV positive or are newly diagnosed after after arriving in the UK or at some point when they present to healthcare services. So the numbers are small, but as you say, they're still, you know, they still are it's still important that we're aware of these numbers and continually look at what we can do to support women during pregnancy. That's brilliant. Thanks, Casey. And I think for, for some of our listeners who's, who have just tapped on this podcast because they've got an interest in children and supporting families, I think that's really important. Some of the, the messages that you've just said about having those conversations if people are feeling unsure yeah. about taking a test during pregnancy because it can be quite a vulnerable time for people. Absolutely. And also, you know, just regularly checking in to see if things have changed um, as well for people sounds like a really important way that we as healthcare professionals can support um, women accessing our care. And I think the picture changes, doesn't it, as well sometimes, you know, when an adult's diagnosed, we probably ask them at that time about children, but it may be that the children are not living with them at that point, or it may be that it's never revisited at a later appointment um you know whether that be years down the line or or whatever so it's just something that needs to stay on our agenda yeah I know that's it and I think speaking to people who have received that diagnosis we in shock and it might not be something that we're processing at the time so I think you're right that constant revisiting checking in part of that support is essential really so thank you for that
So reflecting on my days in clinical practice and supporting this group of people living with HIV, it would often mean that at least one person within the family would also be living with HIV, as we've just talked about, which is often made care very complex for lots of reasons that we've talked about previously on HIV matters. I'm wondering if you could explain from your perspective, why does naming HIV to children matter? And also explain to our listeners who may not be familiar with that term, what that actually means. Certainly, Michelle, we refer to naming HIV as our, our sharing HIV diagnosis as the process of, of telling somebody about the HIV so in this context the child or young person telling the child or young person about HIV so it's probably important to note here that historically we've always talked about disclosure disclosure of someone's status and we're really working hard to move away from the term disclosure because when people think about disclosure it's often associated with something negative so we don't want to add any negative angle onto a child or young person finding out or somebody sharing the diagnosis So I think it's really important we think about terminology and in particular when we're working with children and young people who interpret things obviously in different ways. So we we talk about the process of telling a child about the diagnosis as naming or sharing or telling, which is the approach that we take um, in practice uh, and that we're trying to promote across across services. Um, But that's a challenge in itself because disclosure is a historical term. It's what's wrote about in a lot of the literature. So we do need to bear that in mind. But um, back to your other question, Michelle, why does HIV, naming HIV to children matter? It matters hugely. It matters to children and young people. They tell us this when we're working with them. Um, They've got a right to know about their health. And we often say knowledge is power. So people need to understand about the health so they can be empowered to live well with HIV, which is what our aim is. And some of the challenges that occur when children and young people don't know about the HIV include issues such as adherence to medication. So why would you take medicines if you don't know what they're taking, if you don't know what they're taking them for? And on top of that, actually, you might feel absolutely fine and someone's trying to give you medicines Maybe they make maybe you're experiencing some side effects, they make you feel worse. So it, it makes adherence to medicines quite complex. Again, it can um, affect trust, really. Trust could be affected in families and within healthcare teams. But that said, it's also important in relation to maintaining a positive therapeutic relationship with families. And the other thing that comes up often is children and young people can become really worried or reluctant to ask questions, um, whether that be in clinic or at home or in, you know, at any health reviews. And this can lead, as we know today, in, in many areas um, to internet searching. But for children, people can lead to myths and misconceptions about HIV as well and create a lot of kind of fear and worry and concern that perhaps isn't necessary if the information is given in the right way. But you're right, lots of reasons why children are not told and it's really important that we don't underestimate those challenges. We know from practice, it's clearly reported in the research, although research generally sits outside of the UK, but that parents experience significant fear, guilt, worry in relation to the child being told about the HIV. And parents and sometimes healthcare professionals also worry about the significance of stigma once the child knows about the HIV. So there's a protective mechanism really in in the not telling them and the drive for that from a a parent's perspective. And as I say, sometimes from a healthcare professional's perspective, it's certainly on healthcare professional's agenda 
But in my opinion, the biggest barrier here to telling a child about a diagnosis is stigma. Stigma creates the challenges that we've talked about. It leads to challenges and then it leads to barriers of naming or sharing a diagnosis at the time, child and then later, children and young people growing up with HIV. So this is something that we really need to, to focus on and address. Thank you for sharing that with us, Katie. I can see it's a really complex area of care. I'm just wondering for our listeners who are kind of interested in knowing more about naming, um, is there any sources that you can maybe signpost them to? Certainly there are um, a number of resources on the Cheever website, Children's HIV Association in the UK. There's sources and resources on there and so we always have discussions with people in relation to naming HIV. It should be done by a professional involved in HIV care with the understanding and support that's needed and ideally, uh, well, it needs to be in collaboration with the family. I think one of the things actually talking to a mum only last week that comes up is this expectation sometimes that parents should do the telling or be involved significantly in the telling and we have to remember that that's often too hard because of some of the points that I've just mentioned you know feelings of guilt worry blame um, and no matter how much support we do around them it's hard to remove any of them until the child actually knows um, and in other health conditions we wouldn't ask a parent to go and explain to a child about the health condition so this is more complex in HIV and I think we have to bear that in mind but we will be working on developing some more resources that are child family professional friendly because it's you know it's time to to update update what we're doing and update what we've got brilliant thank you so for our listeners i will drop the achiever website in our description show descriptions and also i think the key message there for me was if you find yourself in a position where this is something that you need to be thinking about achiever are more than happy to support you with that and it's important for everybody involved that this is done in the best way possible for everybody involved so thank you so much for sharing your um, experiences with that katie So it's clear that this is an area of care that you're really passionate about. And I'm aware from the article you've written recently for HIV nursing that you've you arranged an online meeting with a number of professionals from different countries to explore this issue. So I'm just wondering for our listeners, are you able to share some more insights into this discussion and provide any examples of good practice from other countries that we could learn from? Absolutely. So I met with colleagues from Sweden, South Africa and Uzbekistan just to explore what's happening in the context of children's HIV globally. And the clear leader here is Sweden. We know this for over a decade now, HIV has been talked about openly in clinic settings in Sweden from the first appointment and regardless of the child's age. And the team reported that, as is normal in, in all of the services and as we all reported, there's a lot of anxiety and concern about this in relation to the resistance or reluctance from uh, parents or fear or disengagement. But actually, the team report that despite the initial concerns that they also shared, there's been very little resistance. And it's actually been really positive in promoting open discussion about HIV in a safe place. When we think about stigma, it becomes really hard to challenge stigma and reduce stigma and stop self-stigma. If we continue to hide a diagnosis, 
um, children and young people grow up learning not to talk about the HIV and they realise or start to think that it's scary talking about HIV and the HIV is often not talked about in the home. If we then don't talk about it in clinic either, we kind of add to this, to this complex scenario. Definitely, it sounds like we just inadvertently perpetuate this stigma by not being talked about, so thank you for that. We've touched on stigma and discrimination quite a lot within our podcast today um, and this unacceptable role it plays in not talking about HIV. I think that's been a theme that's been throughout the HIV Matters um, podcast as well. I'm wondering, from your perspective, how would you like to see this change and is there any roles that our listeners can play within that? On a personal note, I'm hoping to carry out some research exploring the stories and experiences of children and parents in telling children about the HIV in the UK. This is something we need to hear more about and learn more from. Because when we talk to healthcare professionals, predominantly the the barrier to telling children that's presented is resistance from parents. But we need to update national guidelines and develop resources suitable for parents, children and healthcare professionals. And hopefully that will be an outcome of, of the research. But I do believe that as healthcare professionals, we have to take the lead here. Um, we need to educate colleagues, teams at every opportunity. We probably all know of scenarios or situations or stories where stigma has been experienced within healthcare. So we certainly you know, have a role to play there. I think also we need to educate friends, family members, anybody that we can do, um, educate the general public. Um, a good example of this is the relaunch of HIV in schools, which is a project led by the Achiever Youth Committee. They'll be leading a parliamentary launch in March 22 in relation to that. Because what we all need to do is play a role in normalising HIV. I think that that's crucial. Thank you for that, Katie. And thanks for sharing your future research with us. I'm sure our listeners would like to invite you back at some point to hear how that's going on. And I'm also hoping that the Chiva Youth Committee will come on to HIV Matters to share that amazing campaign with us. I will definitely keep our listeners dated with, with that. So thank you so much for taking the time to be part of our podcast today. This is now part of the show that I like just as much as all the interview that we've just had. But this is a time where we get to know you a little bit better. So can you name something that brings you joy? Well, I have to say my daughter. Uh, I think she's amazing. She makes me smile every day. So that would be my answer to that. Brilliant, yeah. Can you also share with us a book that you've been reading recently? I'll highlight a book, actually, that you recommended to me, Michelle. Um, I'm currently reading a book called Troubling the Angels. The book tells of inspirational stories of women living with HIV um, who are accessing a support group in, um, in the US. And although it was published in 97, the challenges and experiences of stigma remain today. Um, my research interest sits with qualitative methods and in particular narrative inquiries so I'm really enjoying reading this. Oh, thank you yeah, it's one of my favourite books and um, I make everybody read that so thank you for, for taking <laughs> me up on that suggestion I just love how it's written it's just 
powerful really powerful so thank you also as well Katie we're exposed to many many different medias at the moment we've got obviously social media beauty of podcasts tv programs radio I'm just wondering have you listened to read or watched anything recently that surprised you or made you think differently going slightly off angle what I'll say is that um, I've recently met with a young person, a young adult who's grown up with HIV to explore my research ideas. And something that she said, which kind of takes us back really through this podcast, is um, that stigma is a learnt behaviour, that we grow up fearing what we don't know, and this has to change. Um, and this hasn't necessarily made me think differently. It's highlighted that changing practice really is a must. Um, so I think that that would be the point I want to raise there and it does obviously link to a lot of things that we are we're discussing and we're seeing at the moment yeah that's brilliant such powerful insight from from such a, a powerful lived experience so thank you so much for sharing so thank you Katie for being a part of today's HIV matters and providing us an update with children living with HIV and young people. We'll definitely be inviting you back to the show to find out more about your research. So thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me Michelle, it's been a pleasure. I would like to thank today's guests for joining me on HIV matters. If you have any suggestions for guests you would like to see on the podcast or if you fancy joining me on the show, please contact me at michelle.croston at nottingham.ac.uk. Throughout series one, our amazing guests have been sharing their favourite books with us. If you're anything like me, you'll have been busy trying to find these books in a variety of different bookstores. HIV Matters has teamed up with ukbookshop.org to create our own virtual bookstore, which is absolutely amazing. Because not only do we get to find the books that have been mentioned with ease, We also get to support local bookshops when ordering our books. If you'd like to learn more about the HIV Matters bookstore, then please click the link below for more information. Also at HIV Matters, we're really interested in hearing your views on different books that you've been reading. So please contact the show. How to contact the show is in the description below. If you'd like to find out more about Nivna, head over to their website at www.nivna.org. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button to HIV Matters if you haven't already done so. HIV Matters is supported by an unrestricted educational grant from Vive. Vive has had no input into speakers or content. Today's podcast was edited by Daniel Hege. A special thank you from all the team at HIV Matters. Until next time, thank you for listening and together we can make a difference.